0: Hey, bowlers, Bowling This Month is back. Bowling This Month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg.
1: Once again, joining us today is Marshall Holman. This is part two of an interview that you heard part of last week. If you missed any part of that, please check out iTunes. If you're an Apple user, check out Above180.com. Also, you can go to Stitcher Smart Radio if you're an Android fan, and also, if you go in the Google Store, you can download Beyond Pod, which is a great way to keep up on the Above180.com podcast. Also, do want to remind you folks, if you're interested, check out BowlingHighlightReels.com. It's a great website, great resource for high school bowlers, or if you know of a high school bowler, please pass it along to them, trying to do something there to help grow the sport and, and help a high school player get into college. But without further ado, Marshall, I want to thank you again for joining me on the Above180.com podcast.
2: You bet, Tim. Good to be here.
1: All right. Well, Marshall, last week we talked about some of the things regarding the PBA. Now let's focus on some of the things that a lot of bowlers, when they email me, they're talking about and they're concerned about. Um, league bowling. Back in the day, there was, you know, most people five-person teams. You bowled one night a week, two nights a week, etc., but the way things are going, and the decline in league bowling, you see a lot of three and four man teams, four person teams. Do you, can you put your finger on maybe why league bowling is in the decline that it is?
2: I think part of it is that um, the game the game has become too easy on 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 many levels. The bowling balls are much stronger. the the pins The pins fly around more. Um, you don't need to. The, a lot of people think you don't need to practice as much in order to to average 200, which is true, but but today's 200 average is was was you know yesteryear's 180 average. Um, it's uh, there, there are a lot of choices for you know for people to spend their, their discretionary income and uh, and it's become more and more difficult for you know for proprietors to you know to lock in bowlers to bowl in leagues to uh, to keep them as you know as full as they were back back when I was when I was a kid. Um, it's, you know It used to be you open up a bowling center and people just walked in. Now now it's, uh, it's, it's much more competitive for, uh, for that discretionary dollar, and, and they have to work hard to, you know, to give, give people reason to come in.
1: Well, one of the things that kind of concerns me as a league player is I talked to a lot of college bowlers, and I remember a gentleman telling me that he doesn't bowl league, but he goes out and he'll practice two or three times a week because he can practice on his own terms. He may get a, a more difficult shot. You know, he, he has to deal with the center and the proprietor where they'll put out maybe a, a sport pattern and such. And a concern maybe because hearing this from someone who's in his early 20s, which and he's a bowler, and he bowls competitively, bowls competitively in college. That's a concern of mine. So you mentioned the shots, <laughs> but then we had, t- had your double-edged sword of you put out too tough a shot. You're going to lo- run away some of the bowlers because they don't <laughs> average their 220. Yeah. But you got your younger bowlers who say we're not going to bowl unless we get a, a better, a more, you know, a, a difficult shot. Where, there's a real fine line that the proprietors have to take as far as scores.
2: It's it's very difficult, you know. It it, it started it started you know back when I was bowling leagues where they the, the term back then was you know you you, you put up the wall and the, the wall was the wall of oil in the middle of the lane and then dry boards on the outside and and it made it made it easier to score. Um, it's you know it's been a long time that uh, that league bowlers have had had this. Uh, so to speak, you know candy and when it's hard to it's hard to pull that away um they they're used to having the lanes you know scoreable um they they want you know that's that's they want they want to go down and and uh without much practice you know shoot their six fifty seven hundred series, have a few beers, and have some fun um it's difficult it's just it's a it's it's it is a balance and and unfortunately one of the things that that I think hurts bowling is bowling is perceived as as being too easy you know people see somebody on on a telecast throw a strike and they go well I can do that um and you know you see if you you watch you watch other sports and and you're left thinking well there's just no way I can't do that well you you can you can throw the strike like a professional bowler can throw a strike knocking all the 10 pins down but you can't do it with the same type of leverage accuracy uh speed control and and such, um, it's a, you know, I, I think it's always been like that. You know, bowling bowling looks easy. That you don't you don't see you don't see sand traps and water hazards like you do know, in a golf course. They're they're all out there um, on a on a lane, and you have to read you have to read the lane to figure out you know exactly how you want to throw your ball and the best way to to attack the pins. But um, I think the 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 perception is uh, is that it isn't. It's just it's just bowling, you know.
1: Well, and the tricky part that the centers face, and, and I've interviewed Rick Benoit and talked with Rick a lot of times, and what he thinks we need to do is we need to separ- separate and categorize the recreational players with the guys and the, the guys who want to take it more serious, I guess he could say. So leave the recreational players, the people that come out, and let's say your goal is you know you work 9 to 5 and you're not trying to prepare for a tournament on the weekend. You just want to go out and, like you said, have a few beers. Mm-hmm. If you average 180, you average 180, you average 200, but but you really don't take it too serious. And then you got your guys who probably you're in this category, I'm in this category. When we bowled league or when you used to bowl league, we were bowling league to, to get those games in and stay sharp so that when we went and bowled on the weekend, we still had some games in. So, and, but then it would be great to bowl on a tough shot. So is there some way that the center you know, the center is trying to please two people and keep no. two, two folks happy at once? It's very,
2: it's very difficult. and, and you know, Bowling centers are businesses, and, uh, and the bulk of the business has very little to do with high-average bowling. So it's, um, you know, it's, it, and I, would you know, I was, when I, when I, when I was bowling league back, you know, back before I went on tour, you know, the, the squeakiest, your squeakiest customers are your high average bowlers. And it's a very small percentage of your, of your business to try and, you know, take care of, of, of the high average players. But, um, you know, I would, I would love to see, I would love to see it separated where the, where the competitive bowlers would want to bowl on on a, on a more difficult kind of condition. And they've tried to, they've tried to do that with the um, you know with with you know with with PBA leagues where they've put up the put up the the shots that the guys on on tour uh, bowl against. But I think most of, most of the bowlers they just want to they, they take it they take it seriously to a, to, a, to a point where they do want to bowl in in tournaments here and there on the weekends. But they they still to they, they want to come in and have fun. Throw high scores, and uh, unfortunately, that that has taken it's taken practice out of the out of the equation.
1: Well, and you mentioned how a proprietor, you know, catering to those higher average bowlers, it's like the last thing they want to do is pull out their oiler and put out a tough shot just because I'm coming in to bowl, and I want to hone up my game and such. Um, so I, I see what you're saying. It's a very delicate line to ha- to have someone do that. Let's move on. Though USBC has taken a lot of grief. And on this show, we, t- we try to not give really anyone a lot of grief. I mean, we try to come up with ideas and ways to fix problems and solve problems. Um, one of the big things that there was a lot of commotion over last year was USBC doing away with a lot of their awards. Um, and a lot of people then said, well, if you're not going to give me these awards every year, does the ev- sanctioning even matter? And obviously sanctioning... You know, there's some there's uh, some of the record-keeping side of it where it's it's an insured league, so the secretary can't just, you know, run off with all the money at the end of the year. So there's that <laughs> aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you still see it, sanctioning really as, as something that is needed for leagues? Because this was even brought up in our league meeting out here, you know, over in Medford. They said, what are the benefits of sanctioning?
2: doesn't seem to be as important as it was back in the day. I, I know that, uh, you know, with, with the bowling balls becoming stronger and the pins being a little easier to knock down... Uh, the the awards uh, they don't look like the they don't look like the the 300 rings back in 1975 six, seven, eight, nine. those were those were nice gold rings with 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 nice diamonds in them and they were they're beautiful uh and then as the as more and more 300s were bold uh those rings started becoming less and less and less attractive uh be, you know the ABC back back in the day was the ABC. Now it's the USBC. They just couldn't they couldn't afford to keep to keep putting out uh, those expensive awards because they're they're just too many of them. You know, a 300 game in the in 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 the 70s, especially in the early to mid 70s, uh, was was a rarity. And then it be it became more and more more and more normal, and and you were seeing 300s all over the place. So. Uh, I don't know if a, if sanctioning. I think I think there's there's definitely a place for the USBC. I mean, we, we definitely need them. Um, I would like to you know I'd like to see the scores I'd like to see the scores get you know become a little more a little more difficult and, and make make bowling a little a little a little tougher for for all the players. But you know as we've discussed you know in the past, it's it's, it's a tough thing to
1: take you know to take the metaphorical candy away from that baby. And Marshall, sticking with the USBC, a team last year from Oklahoma City shot thirty-seven twenty, shattering the record. Um, what is next in this uh, tournament? This is an amateur tournament. It's probably the most prestigious amateur tournament, amateur team tournament that most folks bowl. So, I mean, talk about those scores. And I mean, that's two forty a guy. That's that's truly amazing.
2: That's um, that's hard to it's hard to believe. You know, in the years that I bowled the ABC USBC tournaments. Uh, you know, if you if you shot eight if you just shot eighteen hundred for your for your nine games and average two hundred, that was that was that wasn't too bad. They were the scores were always difficult. Um, it's just it's just hard to believe that the that the guys could could get anywhere near that. But they're they're putting together a lot of powerful teams. Um, getting back to the, the the bowling balls are 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 so strong, and you know when when the guys when the guys figure them out, they can just annihilate them. And uh, so I'm I. Sure. Things keep going the way they're going. 3800 I I I'm, I'm sure it it can and will happen.
1: So you have mentioned and alluded to a couple times about the bowling balls and the equipment and such. Um what can be done? I mean, can we I mean, it's very hard for someone to tell these companies, "Hey, stop making high-performance bowling balls." But it seems like every company is trying to outdo each other with the hook ability of a bowling ball. Sure, I mean, every I, ball I'm, hooks more and more.
2: I'm not sure anything can be done right now. And, and we, you know, we need, you know, the, the manufacturers are, are instrumental in, in, in putting money back into the game um, at all levels. And certainly at the professional level, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it being, being reined in right now. Um, I think the time to, to address that, that question. And it was, it was addressed. Nothing was done about it was, uh, gosh, was it, 1980 when the angle came out that the first your first urethane ball which which really uh was a was a big was a big change from uh from just the plastic balls that we had earlier uh and then it just keeps it's evolved and evolved and and weight blocks have gone from from that that small little pancake weight block that really didn't do a lot to having like you know these very dynamic barbell ish kind of weight blocks. And, uh, I don't know. I think the, I, I think it'd be very difficult to, you know, to tell the, tell the manufacturers you can't keep doing this. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we need each other. We need the manufacturers, need the bowlers, bowlers, need the manufacturers, uh, we need to, we need to, to, you know, to work together. Sounds like I'm running for office, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'm not. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, i i see i see the problems in bowling i i i don't i don't have a lot of solutions
1: what um <laughs> what was your first reaction when you talk about when you went from that angle <laughs> from the plastic to the angle and then the the reactive resin when you first threw the what what do you i mean what <laughs> well <laughs> well it was a it was a big difference going from uh
2: going from plastic to uh to uh to urethane and i i remember that um Dave Husted, who good friend of mine, excellent PBA Hall of Famer from from up in the Portland area, um, he was bowling on the Columbia bowling staff at that time, and when AMF came out with the angle, it really revolutionized the game. and And uh, to Dave's credit, he stayed with Columbia for you know all all through that through that early urethane era, where where he didn't have a urethane ball, and and he was really at a he was at a, a a big disadvantage and still but still managed to bowl pretty good and then Columbia came out with the with the black dot, and uh, and Dave's game you know got back up the level where, where it should have been but um, there was a big difference early you know and it was uh, the step from the step from from plastic to to urethane was big and then the and then as urethane became more and more dynamic uh, it just kept getting Stronger and stronger. I think the Excalibur was the first um, reactive resin ball to come out, and and I don't even think the guy. I don't think the guys even realized what what it was. We just knew that it hooked more. Um, I know that uh, I was. Uh, I wasn't. The, I was the beneficiary of the first butt kicking by a by a reactive resin ball by uh, by a gentleman from from your home state from Wisconsin, uh, Mark McDowell he used he used the he used the, um, the excalibur and uh, he beat me in a tournament in southern california i can't even remember what year it was but uh you know it's 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 just the the evolutionary process of the game and as it, as it got as, as the reactive balls became more and more prevalent and more dynamic that's really what um what took me from being a a top professional to, to being a struggling professional and then ultimately getting into the broadcast booth. Uh, you know, the, the, you needed to make adjustments in how you looked at the lane with reactive resin. And it's, in today's game, the today's game, guys don't look at the lanes like I did. I, you know, I tried to control the first 15 or 20 feet, you know, control the heads, and then make the ball hit in the back end. Well, that's not how you look at the game anymore. Now you look at the game... I need to get my ball to this break point. How am I going to get it to the break point? You don't even worry that the front end of the lane is not even considered now. It's, it's all about getting to that break point. And it, it's like taking bowling from, from one language and, and turning it into another language. And it really, I was very stubborn and uh, I didn't make the proper adjustments. Uh, Pete Weber, uh, who was a great bowler before, before Reactive Resins, he struggled a while. When the reactive resins came out, but as you can definitely see, he he figured him out. He you know he he had the same choice I had. Either either you figure it out or you or you stop throwing bowling balls for a living. He figured it out. I stopped throwing bowling balls.
1: <laughs> so um, <laughs> speaking of that, talk about when you made the decision. Was it one of these things where you just kept going? You know, you would go to these tournaments and you're like. You didn't have, you know, you, you going like you said. You you weren't seeing the lanes properly, and 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 you're like, look, I know the competitive juices. I can still see it in your eyes. You're like, look, I'm not going to come out here and not not earn a check. I got to – Something has to change here.
2: Yeah, well, I did. I did flounder around for a while, uh, probably '92 through through '95, uh, where I I didn't bowl a complete full schedule, but I bowled quite a bit, and uh, and I never. I I really just never figured it out. I always tried to keep making it work the way that it used to work. And then in in, uh, in 1996 in um, in Detroit, there was a there was a tournament that it was it was like we were thrown back in a time machine. At least ten years, and and the and the and the ball pattern was more like what I used to look at, and and for some reason my game gelled that week. I led the tournament. And I won the tournament, and uh, I can remember remember throwing the last shot, winning the tournament, and yelling, "I'm back!" And and uh, no, I wasn't. I really wasn't back. I I had one I had one good week, and then uh, and then it just became the same thing again. And I was I was in the infancy of doing the broadcasting at that time for ESPN, and um, I mean it was a lot of fun. It was it was great to win again, but um, it uh, the, the game the game had changed. I didn't change with it. And uh, and like everything, there you know they they say that the you know Benjamin Franklin said years ago, many many years ago, hundreds of years ago, what are the two truisms in life? Death and taxes. Well, the other thing that that is that is true, death, taxes, and change. There's always going to be change. So if you don't if you don't change with the times, and that's where I you know I, I look at some of the players who've trans, who've transitioned from from one from one era to another, and I, I marvel at them being able to do that because. They they had to make they had to make profound changes in their game.
1: So looking back on things, I want to hit on that too. You just brought up a key point, but looking back on things, could you say now understanding more of the way the new newer equipment is? And like you said, the big weight blocks were not that you're going to go out there and shoe them up and go and bowl on the PBA fifty. As you shake your head, no. <laughs> um, you but do you think you you could be competitive again and couldn't competitive enough that you would feel that you would be happy with your, your progress or do you still think you might be kind of in that nah, I'm not going to be, be where I want to be game wise
2: well I you know I, just, I couldn't do it <clears throat> excuse me I couldn't do it now my my game is you know I, I don't bowl I don't bowl very much at all now and uh, my, my release my release started leaving me you know many many years ago and um, so I I don't I don't think even even knowing you know the how you need to attack the lanes. Now, if, if, if I was a, if I was a 19 year old and, and I was just coming out on tour now, I think I, I think I could figure them out and, and, uh, and I think I'd be successful. But, but, um, after going through, going through a good 15 to 17 year window where, where I was very comfortable with the lanes to all of a sudden having it change. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it would, I'm not sure I'd, I'd want to go through that.
1: It's, would you would you if you were that age would you pick up the two handed bowling Being down at the PBA experience our PBA and watching the guys? Would well, you? I don't
2: I don't know that I'm I might have tried it. You know, I th- I think if you're if you're if you're a youngster right now and you're watching and you watch bowling on TV and you see you see the likes of a Jason Belmonte, you know what he does is cool, and and you know and I've watched bowling and bowled for a living for many many years and and when I watch Jason Belmonte. I think it's cool. I mean, it's just—it's amazing, the amount of revolutions and the speed of which he can throw the ball. I think it's—it's—it's—it's it's probably the first time. It's one of the first times in bowling, and we talked about it earlier about how you know bowling doesn't look—it looks like something you can do. Well, you watch Jason Belbonte and you and you go, "I can't do that," and that's—that's that's what we need. We need we need bowlers doing things that on on the on the highest level. That the amateur bowler just simply can't do. That's what gives bowling extra extra credibility. And uh, you know, if I was a kid now watching that, uh, I I certainly would try it. I'm sure a lot of youngsters out there that are trying that two-handed. It's uh, it's not as easy as it looks. And uh, I don't know that I'm not sure. If, I've never even tried it. I I don't think at 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 60 years of age, me trying to bowl two-handed would would work out well for my my body at this point.
1: Yeah, your back, um, I know I tried it, my back uh, didn't feel the greatest after I was doing it, so I, I can I can hear you. It definitely takes something. Now, there's Jason, and there's Sean, and there's a bunch of guys with a lot of revs out there. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, how does that affect the straight players, the Walter Rays of the world, if there, there aren't a lot of straight players anymore, but the Walter Rays and the norms of the world, and, and some of the guys who like to go more down the lane? Um, because it seems like what I see is because they're starting so far left, and, and playing out in that area, it seems like it creates kind of a no-man and just keep moving left, left, left. Um, do you think the PBA maybe needs to do something to, with the oil or maybe change the lane patterns to make it a little more almost forcing you to play straight or maybe some shorter shorter patterns? I know they have Cheetah, which is a highest scoring pattern, but mm-hmm. um, maybe make things a little more shorter and, and kind of take people away from lofting the left gutter because that's probably something, again, alluding to earlier conversations, you guys never had to loft the left gutter. And nowadays it's it's common play by by the you know by the burn squad. You see guys yeah. who, I'm sure when you you notice that down in Vegas.
2: Absolutely. It's, I I never could have I wasn't very good when I got inside a fourth arrow because I I had a very long approach and I needed I needed all all of the approach to build the momentum to throw the ball because I didn't have a very a very um long backswing. Um I I would I would like to see the tour um build new patterns instead of it just being those same patterns every year I, th- I think that it, it makes it even more difficult for for new bowlers to to break into the tour because these guys that are the the stars of of, of the game right now they they know when they bowl on whatever pattern it is whether it's cheetah or Viper or, or scorpion or whatever they they pretty much know what they need to start with they know when that pattern is going to make its first breakdown or transition they have so much knowledge that uh, that they, they, they almost know to the to the ball what to do when to do it and a new guy, you know, may have a maybe gifted uh, and very talented, but without without having that experience with knowing what those conditions do, it's gotta be tough. So I I would I would like to see them go to, you know, just find new patterns.
1: Final question for you is: uh, I talked to Robert Smith, and if um, you're interested in listening to that interview, check out above dot com. It's in the archive sections. But Robert Smith has been toying around with making the pins a little bit heavier, which making the pins a little bit heavier means more deflection, which means less sure. strikes. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that maybe the answer, like you're saying, to some of these, uh, to combating some of these scores?
2: Well, I think it. I think it. I think it is. I think it would be one of the answers, but it's. Uh, you know, now you're now you're you're going into a cost issue. You know, that's a that's a lot of money for a for a proprietor to to buy another set of pins. Um I think it I think it definitely would make things would make things more difficult and, and would and would make the kind of even out what these dynamic balls are doing. I know I used to bowl in a in a in a tournament years ago uh back east called the Vargo, and the Vargo was was like it was four pounds four pound magnesium pins. And if you didn't, if you didn't hit the pocket high flush, no matter what your ball looked like, it, it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna strike. It wasn't gonna, it, you weren't gonna knock them over. And if you, if you hit a little bit light, instead of leaving a two pin that might get shaken over and fall over, you, you left the two four five seven eight <laughs> virtually every time because the pins were so heavy, the head pin would go to the sideboard and die. Uh, it was a it was a fun tournament. I mean, it, you, you didn't. Uh, it was uh, it was ultra ultra difficult. Uh,
1: Sounds a lot like the Peterson backheld sure, in in, sure. uh, in the Chicagoland area. Well, I know. And Robert Robert's thought is that look, it's not for everyone, but it's for folks looking to kind of get some of the scoring down and the numbers down to probably where they should be. And the thing that he thought it did is it neutralized everyone's game, not not just the um, you know the people that were in that, lo- that mid, that 200-ish average, it brought them down 20, but it also brought people that were at 220 down to 200, too. So it was kind of a very uh, an equalizer for everyone's game. Well, Marshall, I see we're running out of time here, so I just want to thank you for joining me. This was fun. I think we could have... I, I got so many more questions, but I'm going to let you run. We're going to have to have you back on the show again. Uh, again, make sure you check out the previous interview that we did with Marshall. And, um, Marshall, it was, it was best. Uh, great seeing you and uh, great finally meeting you in person.
2: Thank you, Tim. Good to meet you.